0: All right, we're going to do a study on the Holy Spirit today. That was one of the things that was requested. And so we'll talk a little bit about his personhood uh, and then the economy of the Trinity in terms of how he functions in the Trinity, especially in uh, his interactions with us and in creation, all of that, and maybe talk a little bit about how he doesn't seem to function, but many people think that he does. Uh, as well in the process of talking about all of this other stuff. So let's go ahead now and, and bow in a word of prayer. Father, help us now as we seek to uh, talk about a difficult subject, and um, and uh, we're always cautious, of course, because we're talking about God, and we're talking about uh, a person of the Godhood, and therefore we want to be very cautious in uh, saying what we say. Obviously, we believe that you can do all things And uh, that uh, you do all things according to the counsel of your will. Uh, But we also want to point out that you have then therefore decided to do some things and not others. And to work in some ways and not others. And so help us, Lord, understand the work of the Holy Spirit, his precious work in our lives. and, um, And his glorious work in our lives and in all creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, of course, uh, the Holy Spirit is pictured as one of the persons of the Trinity. So you have in the Great Commission, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, You have the Spirit placed elsewhere in in a Trinitarian formula, actually throughout the epistles and whatnot. Uh, At the the baptism of Christ, of course, you've got the Father speaking, the Spirit descending like a dove, and the Son coming up from the water. So again, you've got the, the Trinity there. So we understand that the spirit is part of the Trinity, that he is a, a member of the Godhead. And the, the question then becomes, is he a personal member or is he just like a spirit? Is he just like a force, the force of God or something that goes into all the world and, and creates and whatnot? Now, he is a force. Uh, in terms of going into all the world and enlivening everything, we see in the very beginning in Genesis one that the Spirit of God He hovers over the uh, the surface of the deep, that is the chaotic waters, and then creation begins to take place. God says, "Let there be light," uh, through the Word, and then the Spirit applies it, and there's light. And so um, He is he, all, all the members of the Trinity are involved in creation, and the Spirit, of course, is giving life to all things. Uh, The word is ruach in the uh, Old Testament, typically referring to God's uh, God's spirit, God's enlivening spirit, the creational spirit that gives life to all things. And so we understand the Holy Spirit isn't someone who just comes along in the New Testament. It's from the very beginning. Uh, He's at work. And so but but there's not a lot of talk about him. And you would never quite understand who he is or if he was a person from the Old Testament. And some of the New Testament, you may not even understand that. And so a lot of people, when they think about the Holy Spirit, they almost have this kind of Star Wars, the force idea of the Holy Spirit to where, you know, you can throw the spirit around and and he's like a uh, like electricity that's flowing from you or something. And um, again, the, there's power that comes from the Holy Spirit in the scripture that may look like that, but the spirit himself is a personal Uh, Is a personal being, so uh, or or a person, one of the persons of uh, the Godhead, and so the the Spirit will do things like advocate on our behalf. He is called our advocate, our our Paraclete. Uh, He is um, said to be grieved. Um, He is said to speak, and so we're going to read some of these texts to to show that. You, electricity doesn't speak. Electricity um, isn't grieved when you sin. Um, you know, Electricity can't advocate for you. That, that's not something that electricity can do. And so in John chapter 14, verse 16, it says, Then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. So Jesus was one advocate, and the Spirit is another, to be with you forever. In John sixteen seven, But I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And so he's being sent to them um, as their advocate. In, uh, sorry, lost my spot there. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, it says, God has revealed these things to us by the spirit for the spirit searches all things even the deep things of god for who among men knows the things of a man except the man's spirit within him so too no one knows the things of god except the spirit of god now you might think well the spirit of god that's just uh since our spirit is not different than us then maybe the spirit of god isn't different than the father but it's very clear that the spirit of god is distinct from the father and sometimes he can even be called the spirit of christ or the spirit of jesus And so we can see that, yes, the Spirit, you know, if we understand the Trinity, it's that they all indwell one another. And so you can say the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Father, but also the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit by itself is said 90 times in the New Testament, and that's not including all the times that the word Spirit by itself refers back to the Holy Spirit, which is even more than that. Uh, Revelation 2, 7 says, the one who has an ear to hear better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So everything that Jesus just delivered to them is also the Spirit saying it to them as well. Now, some people might say, well, then the Spirit and Jesus are the same. But I just want you to notice, we just read the passage in John that says that the Spirit is another advocate, not Jesus. Jesus is going away so that he sends the Spirit. So they're not the same. And so, distinct again. So, there's a oneness, there's a unity, and yet there's this distinction. Ephesians 4:30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, if you can grieve him, that means he's a person. Um, that, that means that there's at least some sort of, even if it's an anthropothe- anthropopathic language that's being used you understand that there's there's a uh, disposition toward what you're doing that the Spirit himself has as a person. We understand the Spirit, of course, is God as well. In Acts 5, 3, and 4, but Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the sale of the land? Before it was sold, did it not belong to you? And when it was sold, was the money not at your disposal?" How have you thought up this deed in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. So lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. Which, incidentally, just ecclesiastically, lying to the apostles slash elders is lying to the Holy Spirit and lying to God. Uh, Just to be aware of that whole thing. In Second Corinthians three eighteen, and we all, with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one glory of one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Um, now we can go over numerous verses and talk about you know that all day uh, in Acts chapter thirteen. Uh, It says the Holy Spirit said to me or uh, said to us or the Church of Antioch. Now I forget. I actually should have read it. Um, But the Church to the Church of Antioch set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, for the purpose which I have called them. And so uh, Acts 13 is actually having the Holy Spirit speak to the church at Antioch. Well, again... He's not like nudging them emotionally. He's not putting thoughts in there. He's actually talking to them. Electricity does not talk. And so we understand that he's a person. Now, uh, what is the spirit's role with us and in the world? So his role with us is basically what I, I laid out in the beginning. It's actually creation, the role of the Spirit is to apply to creation what God has decreed uh, to come about through the work of the Son. The Spirit is to apply that. And that's true of creation in general. And that's true of even our creation as Christians. Both in our uh, being created in Christ in terms of justification and regeneration and all of that. And also in our sanctification. So he continues to apply God's work Uh, through christ to us in uh in in our creation as we are sanctified and and ultimately when we're glorified so this means the spirit is basically everywhere in him we move and have our being Uh, that that statement that paul quotes there is true of god because it's true of the holy spirit david says where can i go from your spirit there's nowhere he's everywhere and so One of the difficulties I think that the modern Christian has in thinking about God is that they tend to think of God as like just some big guy in heaven, and God's like away from them, and so they have this more transcendent view of God, or they have an overly imminent view to where they think God's like a part of creation, or a part of them in creation or something, and and neither of those is correct. However, uh, it is true that God is everywhere filling all things and all things in him in that way. They're not a part of him. Uh, He's not dependent upon creation. Creation is a created thing. He's not created, but he fills all things, holds all things together. In him, we do move and have our being. He is in us, through us. We are moving within him. And so God is all around us, in that way, and all in us in that way, who are believers, and um, through Jesus Christ. And so he is, and what is he doing? Well, he's creating. He's convicting the world of sin, which is what we call conscience. I don't actually think that men have their own conscience. I think that when it talks about writing something on, on men's minds, it's talking about the spirit being present and conveying those things to man. And he can basically... Uh, he can ignore the spirit and become callous and therefore become even further depraved in what he believes is good and, and evil. Um, but the spirit ultimately is there to convict and to bring to salvation and because that's applying the work of Christ. The work of Christ, as decreed by God the Father, was to both judge the world and also to save the world. Uh, the judgment of the world came about because there was not a reception of the work of the Son, but uh, but the Son uh, was saving the world. And so the Spirit now applies that work to everyone uh, in, in accordance with what God has decreed. And so as many are appointed to salvation, the Spirit brings them into salvation, regenerates them. Uh, justifies them, applies the work of Christ to them. So they're justified and applies the daily work of Christ to them, the gospel to them as he sanctifies them. And this is why it's so important for us to not grieve the Holy Spirit, because what are we doing? Ultimately that phrase grieve the Holy Spirit means we're going contrary to the work of the spirit, which is creational. We're going contrary to creation and we're going more into chaos. And so that's the opposite of what the work of the spirit is doing in our lives and so that's really important now now that we've talked about the general idea of who the spirit is and what his role is in the world i want to talk a little bit about the way the spirit communicates to his people because this is probably the biggest misunderstanding of all and we're not going to talk about spiritual gifts today that's a whole other lesson that we could do um but he does give spiritual gifts but for what purpose to sanctify the people, to bring them to the image, to make them the image of Christ. That's, that's why it's not just to give you fireworks or to fill crowds into your building. That's not the point of it. It's actually to sanctify, to edify the people of God, to bring them about and, and to create them. Um, But, but how does he communicate? This is important. Well, we know he communicates in the old Testament through angels we know he communicates directly, uh, verbally, audibly. It's where you could, you hear, so for instance, like Sinai. Um, we know that he communicates through visions and dreams. And through visions and dreams, again, audibly, obviously you're not hearing in your ear, but you know, your ear as in your dream ear or your, your uh, vision ear or what have you. Um, he communicates in that way. That means that in a vision, you go into a trance. It's not just you hanging out and suddenly hear the spirit talk to you or something, although that's possible. Um, But I want you to notice that in all those ways, we, we then are brought to Hebrews to where now he's spoken to us through his son, that God has actually spoken through his son. And so how does he communicate through there? Well, through the prophets and apostles, they're the foundation. And that means that ultimately it's primarily through prophets and apostles. And then we're told like teachers and things, well, teachers of what, well, of what the prophets and apostles taught and what the scripture had already taught. In other words, I would argue to you that the spirit primarily teaches us and, and speaks to us today through the word of God that he has already uh, compiled. And that, you know, although he can speak to anyone at any time in all those ways, he doesn't usually do that that I'm aware of, and, and that I've, frankly, has been, I think, documented uh, by anyone uh, I, you know, convincingly. But is it possible? Yes, of course. God can do anything he wants. He can, he can decide to talk right now. I mean, God can do what he wants. But the issue is, is why would he then decide to not talk? audibly to you in that way, but instead just through the Bible. Why would he decide that? What what's the purpose? I mean, why 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 would we not get the same thing that they got then? Well, one they don't have a Bible then. So God has to fill in those gaps for them. But two, how much faith does it really take for you to believe in God if you're constantly hearing him talk? I notice that it takes a lot more faith and therefore you must submit to God and submit to the people that he worked through, the authorities that he worked through, the ecclesiastical authorities like the apostles and the prophets that he worked through, to actually have faith in him, to to actually follow him, to actually know what he says, to believe him. And I think God wants that greater faith from us to display the work of the Spirit in us, that even without hearing God talk to us audibly right now, which by the way he didn't talk to everybody audibly in the Old Testament. It's only prophets that he's talking to, or people on certain occasions. He's not just talking to everyone. That's why you knew, oh, this guy's a prophet, because God's talking to him. If God spoke to everybody, all his people, then it wouldn't be anything unique. It would just be like, Yeah, we all we're all prophets. We all, you know, have God talk to us. Um Yet I think the fulfillment of us all being prophets is ultimately is that we all have the revelation of God given to us in the scripture. I think that's how all the sons and daughters end up prophesying. Not because we each individually necessarily. That's true in the New Testament. But I mean, even throughout the church age, I think each individual person who is a Christian becomes a prophet in that they have the revelation of God in the scripture. And of course, they still all need to be taught. There's teachers that are that are different than prophets. But the point is, is that that voice in your head—that's—you don't really have that in scripture. Can God control your thoughts? Absolutely. Does He control thoughts? Yes. Does He control emotions? Yes. He stirs Paul up. Paul up to you know be angry on Mars Hill when he sees all the idols. Um, he he he. The Spirit stirs people up to be angry. That's. The spirit can do that again. That's a that's a sanctifying, creational thing to be angry toward chaos. That he's angry toward chaos. He's a warrior against what is chaos because he's the spirit of creation, the Ruach. And so ultimately, um, he can do all of that and all that's true. Uh, does God stir you up? Yes. Can he put thoughts in your head? Yes. But can you actually distinguish those thoughts? from your own thoughts, I don't think so. The only way you really can distinguish them is to understand that we know for a fact the Spirit has spoken in his word. That must judge everything else. So if he doesn't primarily speak with thoughts in the Bible, then we have to use the Bible and say, well, if you think he's primarily talking to you in your thoughts, you're wrong. Because we know he's spoken here, and that's not the way he speaks. It's not primarily just in your own thoughts. Now, again, yes, in dreams and visions and things like that. What I'm talking about, um, and I I don't believe he's used that anymore because I think we have the scripture, but even if you believe that that's the biblical way to view it, that's fine. Uh, I'm talking about people who are just like standing around and a thought pops in their head and they think that's God. And it's like, it may be he could talk that way to you. We don't have a biblical precedent necessarily for it, but he could. How do you distinguish whether it's you, whether it's the sign you just read, whether it's what you just ate? I mean, how do you distinguish any of that from actually God speaking? Well, you have to go to his word. And here's the problem. If the word says already what popped in your head, then why did you need God to speak to you? Because it was already in the word. And in fact, if it says something contrary to the word, Then, you know, it's false because God's not going to contradict himself. And so why would you need it? Well, it's obviously not from God, then it's contradicting him. So the only thing that would that be the case for would be things that are consistent with scripture. uh, And yet they don't contradict it, but they're not explicitly said by scripture. Again, that's fine if you want to believe that God speaks to you in that way. I just don't want people coming to me and saying, yeah, God said this, and they're contradicting the word of God. And I have that happen all the time. All the time. People saying, well, yeah, but God spoke to me and said this, so we're going to do this instead. And it's like, that's not biblical. And so now you're contradicting the word of God with your supposed revelation that you're getting, which isn't even the kind of revelation in the way that the Spirit reveals things in Scripture. So again, this is, this is just the point, is that uh, the Spirit is a person, not a force. Uh, he is uh, one of the persons of the Godhead. He is working in the world as the one who applies all things to create. So the decrees of God through the work of Christ to create all things. And therefore, whatever he even conveys to his people is going to be for a creational purpose. It's not going to be like, oh, well, you know, what should I have for dinner tonight, spaghetti? And it's like, what does that have to do with you becoming like Christ? What does that have to do with him finishing his work of creation and applying the work of Christ to your life? It doesn't. What does it have to do with, like, whether you drive this car or that car, or whether you get this job or that job, trying to figure out the will of God? You're trying to use the spirit like an omen, which is forbidden, Instead, we know the will of God. We know the will of the spirit. We know what the spirit has said in the word of God. Let's rely upon that first and foremost. And if you believe that God is pushing you toward things, yeah, the the spirit is going to remind you of this word. So if, if that's what you mean by thoughts popping in your head, yes, he will. He'll remind you of the word of God. He will push you toward righteousness he will nudge your emotions to where you are, you are in line with what, the way that the Spirit thinks about those things. He will do all of that because he's conforming you to the image of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. And so you, he is conforming you to be imitators of God. And so that is how the Spirit works in the world. He intercedes for us in prayer when we don't know how to pray correctly. So he, again, that's how he's that other advocate. Jesus is our advocate and our our intermediary, but so is the Spirit. So he's another advocate for us uh, to the Father, and, and and that is all creational. He's bringing life to us by doing that. It's life to everything in 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 in, uh, in his work. As as uh, again, as he uses us as the images of God fills us as God's images and creates through us. Uh, all things, then, we are like a river of life. It's like a river of life flowing through us, uh, the work of the Spirit. And so that's basically the work of the Holy Spirit. We understand that it's a bit mysterious in, in regard to um, what he's going to do with each individual and and how he applies to things. And, and we're not told definitively, yeah, this is what the Spirit looks like or any of that. I mean, it's the Spirit. So, but... Uh, but instead, we're told that, you know, the wind blows where it wishes. You don't know where it comes from, where it's going. Therefore, in the same way, uh, so are those who live by the Spirit. And so uh, he gives life through us. We become his instruments through which uh, he creates life. And he also then um, create finishes God's creation that he began in Genesis 1. So basically, that's what I want to say about the Spirit. I hope that's helpful. And uh, let's now bow in a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this revelation that we've received from the Spirit, about the Spirit, that we might uh, not be lost and think that he is some sort of impersonal force or, uh, or, or someone that we don't have really much to do with. But instead, he, he is a part of our daily life. Uh, from the moment we wake up in the morning, uh, all through the night as we dream, I mean, he's just always with us. We are in him. He is in us. Uh, we breathe in uh, him, he, we breathe out him. He is just everything uh, to us, conforming us to the image of the son, applying the work of the gospel, applying your word to us, convicting the world. Uh, he is always, always at work now uh, because this is his role that he has taken upon uh, uh, in the world. And so we just glorify you now through uh, the acknowledgement of your work, through your son and through the spirit as you seek to continue your creation and bring it to a completion, uh, all for your exaltation, Lord, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.